0: Welcome to the C3 Church Coffs Harbour Podcast. We're glad you're here. We pray that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Good? So good. So good. Man. Uh, if you get a Bible this morning, um, maybe just take notes because I've got 34 scriptures to get through. Um, I'm not even kidding. And so it'd be kind of hard for you to even scroll and keep up, but that's Okay. You can take notes or this will be on the podcast. You can go back and critique me later. Um, But last week, uh, we looked at the fact that Jesus didn't pay such a high price to give us a life that we live at such a low level. Let Let that just sink in for just a moment. Jesus didn't pay such a high price for you and I to inherit a life that we live so small. Yet so many of us can choose to play small and you know, and, and the analogy is like i, I I'm a basketball player, right that 's what I do, and nine times out of ten um, when I'm playing, I'm taller than other people on the court and but I, in my head I'm like five foot ten, and so I, I I try and do all these tricky skills to get around the opponents and different and the guys like just play big, you are bigger than everybody on that team. Use your size and your height and your length, and just shoot over them. Why are you trying to go under around and just Play big. And man, where's, wherever Mangs is, he keeps saying, play big. I'm like, yeah, I got to play big. And when I play big, I play to my strengths. Where's Caleb Johnson? Where are you? <laughs> just drive it, man, just drive it. There's a few other words he uses in French that I won't use this morning that he plays on my team. He's like, dude, you're the biggest guy, just drive it. Like, okay, just use your size. And I guess essentially my message this morning is to us just drive it, play big, don't play small. God did not pay such a high price by sending his only son to die on a cross for us, for us to play small. Life will try and limit us to make us play small, but we've got to resist the devil and he will flee. That little voice that's just telling us lies. Oh, you can't do it. You're not good. enough. But don't you know where you come from? But don't you know that your background? No, 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 no. All things have been made new in Christ Jesus. Because of the incredible price that he paid for us to have that life. Ephesians two verse four to five says, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by his grace we have been saved. That's epic continues on verse chapter 3 verse 20 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us are we aware of the power that's at work within us because if we're aware of the power that's at work within us we're not going to play small If we understand the the, the power of heaven that is pumping and coursing through our veins, then we will remind ourselves who we are in Christ and we're not going to be afraid or intimidated of anything. We're going to live the life that God has called us to live as his sons, as his daughters, as rightful heirs to the kingdom of God and on this life we can hold our head high, play confident, play big. Just flip and drive it. So my job is, as I said last week, is not just to um, present to you the answers to all the last problems. Sometimes I might do that, but that's not my primary job. Nor is it to unlock the secret truths that are somehow only available to me and that you guys are somehow void of of having access to. My job is not to unlock these hidden truths for you to go, wow, God's Word is amazing. My job is to, to... not just dispense answers, but to invite ownership for you guys to find solutions for your own lives. I think it's far more satisfying that we hunt and gather rather than being spoon-fed. And so my job is to pose questions, get thoughts rolling around for us to seek God in prayer, seek God in his words, seek God in worship. So over the next few weeks, I want to take this thought a little bit further. Um, I want to sketch out a framework or an outline of biblical truths to the 10 questions we looked at last week, which we'll go through um, in small chunks. So what I want us to do is, is I, will, I will draw biblically, keep with the metaphor, an outline of what Jesus wants for us in certain areas according to Scripture. Our job is to then go away, myself included, and then color in that picture with what God specifically wants for us in that area of our life. Because I can't give a one-size-fits-all answer to these areas of life. I can simply paint an outline and that we need to go get with God and, and follow his instructions to bring that to life and bring that to color for ourselves. So you'll see on your seats there is a booklet, um, one for everybody, should be hopefully. And it's, it's called, What Does Jesus Want? And you'll see 10 pages in that booklet. And it's pretty clever because the booklet is black and white, right? So black and white outline. And then there's a color pen. Hello, here it is. uh, That you can write scriptures. You can write notes. You can write thoughts. You can write ideas. um, That For your specific life. What does it mean for you? So for, for example, what do I mean by that? Well, for example, if I'm talking about, and I will in a minute, talking about marriage. I would... I, would, I will paint an outline that the, the God's Word says, um, husbands, don't be harsh to your wives. So that's, a, that's, a, that's an outline. So for me, I would color that in with, next time I'm on the couch and Anna says to me, hey, um, don't take this the wrong way, but my initial response needs to be not what it currently is and roll my eyes and go, here we go again. Because <laughs> that's harsh with my wife, so I need to go, yeah, babe, what's up? What are we going to talk about? That, that's how I color in that framework or that outline for that particular passage. And for us, we all do that in different ways, shapes, and form. So the first thing um, we need to ask ourselves this question is, if Jesus is the good shepherd, which, spoiler alert, he is, he is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep... Then where do we think he is leading us in these areas of our life? Where is the good shepherd leading us, his sheep, in these areas of our life? And, and I will say this, he's not leading you to a place of smallness, but a place of enlargement. Okay, because of the price that he paid for us to have this life, he wants us to go from strength to strength to glory to glory and not play small but play big. So if there's, if there's confusion, always lean on the side of faith and believe God bigger, not believe God smaller. Brilliant. So here we go. The first one is what does Jesus want for my marriage? I'm also going to tackle singleness because I know that not everybody is married and I get that. We'll start with marriage, part A. Genesis 2, 24, this is the origins of marriage and, and God's plan for connectivity. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib of, that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is God's plan for marriage. Despite what you might read on media, despite what the voices of this world might say, the origins of marriage is this that a a daughter would leave her mother and father and marry a man who has also left his mother and father. They would unite as one and create their own family, their own entity, and then have their own children. And one day their daughter will marry another. And that's how it works. Today it's, it's a lot different, it's a lot confusing. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. But that is, according to Scripture, God's template for marriage. That's how it works. Man and woman leave their families, create their own families, and so the, the, the cycle turns. Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So a wife is a blessing to a husband. Scripture doesn't confirm the other way around, though, unfortunately. It doesn't say that... <laughs> She who finds a husband finds a good thing. So ladies, I apologize. We will work harder. We will make sure that we are a blessing to you. But please know that you are always a blessing to us. Amen. Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to 23. Your, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Who's like, who's like crinkling on the inside right now? Who's just like, oh, is he going there? I thought they deleted this passage. It's 2020, like surely it's got to be gone by now. Where's the new progressive version? Oh my gosh, get rid of this scripture. Male patriarchy, unbelievable. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Okay, I feel like I need to expand on that a little bit rather than just read that and leave it hanging this passage has been used uh, as an excuse for abuse in marriages for far too long and, and marriage should not be an abusive entity it should be a freeing entity because Christ as the head of the church wants what for us? Our best, our freedom, our joy, um, our, us to reach our potential, Christ is not trying to suppress us and limit us in order that he can feel good about himself and righteous and that is the temple of how a husband should treat his wife. That as a husband I want my wife to be released, to be all she can be, to reach her potential, to be filled with freedom and joy and faith and openness and, and if, if, a, if a wife knows that that's what her husband wants she'll freely submit to him because she knows that submission does not lead to suppression but submission leads to freedom. And that's why we freely submit to Jesus because we know that submitting to Jesus is not for our suppression, it's for our freedom, for our ascension, for us to be all he has called and designed us to be. So husbands, our priority um, for our wives should be for us to acknowledge and release and fan into flame the potential that lies within them, not to suppress them. And I'm happy to receive emails about that. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 4 to 6. Now I'm big on that because I... I hate when men mistreat women. I hate it. Because Jesus does not mistreat us. And that is the, the template. That is the, the example that we are set. And so, yeah, don't go there. But yeah, email me. Let's, let's fight about that. Uh, Matthew 19, 4-6. Jesus affirms then the created order when he says, Haven't you read... That at the beginning the Creator made them female and male, and He said to them, "For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife; the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate." So, so God's plan for marriage is not temporary but permanent. It's it's for life that we would leave our mother and father and start a permanent family that we would be committed to for the rest of our lives. And I get that there are extenuating circumstances which. cause divorce and cause disconnection separation but but that's not God's plan that's when sin gets in and disrupts and disconnects but God's plan is that they will be joined together and because he is the glue that joins them, that no one would separate those things Colossians three eighteen. 18 um, again we're re- reinforcing what we read in Ephesians our wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord husbands here we go love your wives and do not be harsh with them So, again, I'm creating an outline. This is all I'm doing. This is what the Bible says about marriage. Now, you, in your marriage context, need to go and color that in, what that specifically looks like in your relational interactions, um, so that you can live according to these parameters. Do not be harsh. Uh, Hebrews 13:4 Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. This is really important. that the marriage bed be kept pure. Um, sex in marriage is such a a gift from God, and and it is the one thing that um, separates the relationship that a husband and wife has with any other human on the planet. That it is it is reserved for for them those two in the confines of marriage as God has given them to each other. And so, you know, uh, I can high-five anyone I want, all, any, any human on planet, I could high-five, and that's awesome. High-fiving is not unique to my wife and I. I. I could hug, not that I'm a big hugger, I wouldn't, but I could if I wanted to <laughs> hug anybody, shake anybody's hand, I could have a conversation with anybody. I could, there, there are so many things that I have in common with my wife that I could do with any other person, but but sex? That's... That's just for us. That's, and so that's why I don't, I don't talk about this area of my life with anybody because I'm not inviting anybody into that space. And I've been in conversations where blokes will talk about it really openly, about um, that area of their life, and I don't engage in that. Because I, to engage and have discussion is to invite somebody mentally in to visualise what you're talking about, and I want to keep the marriage bed pure. I'm not inviting anybody in there just because I want to be a larrikin or a bloke or keep up with people. But that I, I am so um, serious about keeping that area of our life pure and holy. Because it is a gift that God has given us just for us to enjoy one another. And so I want to honor God and in my, in my marriage and my wife with that. So by keeping it pure. Um, so that's marriage. That's a bit of a framework for marriage. Of course, there are so many other scriptures we could go to and look at, but that's just a, a, a quick little glance. Uh, I want to touch on singleness. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that, I wish that all were as myself am, but it each has a gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Uh, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single, just as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, hello, then they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you're burning with passion this morning, we'll do an altar call for single people and you can just match up on the altar. We'll just make it happen this morning. I'm a licensed celebrant. We can do it today. All right? We can make that work for you. Um, If you're not burning with passion, Paul's saying, be like I am. Embrace singleness. Some people are called to singleness and they're okay with that. And um, I think the reason that Paul's saying, hey, Be as I am. If you're okay with that, if you're not raging with passion to have that area of your life satisfied, if you're okay and content, then that is awesome because you can be far more effective for what God would have for you in your life than if you were... Like, for example, single Justin would be able to achieve more for God's kingdom than perhaps married with three kids, Justin. But because I burn with passion, I decided it's better to get married. And so... um, now i operate in in that sphere but but because i found a wife i found what is good and favorable in the eyes of the lord 2 corinthians 6 4 do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness um this is really simply talking about hey um when you do choose a life partner it's really important to be spiritually compatible um, you know, most men and women can be um, sexually compatible because that's just how the parts work. Um, and not every man and woman can be relationally compatible because there's different personality types. So you've got to obviously get the relational um, uh, compatibility sorted. But also, there's a major factor of a spiritual compatibility that marriage is not just I'm pledging my commitment to you and you're pledging your commitment to me. Marriage is we are pledging our commitment to each other in the sight of God, who becomes the third part of this relationship. And it becomes like a trinity, um, which which is marriage. It's that God has joined together, let no man divide. And if one party doesn't have a connection with God, then it makes it very difficult for the other person and so that's why scripture says hey listen it's really important to work on spiritual compatibility to make sure that you're on the same page that that you can trust in me together and there is nothing more satisfying um, for me to know that my wife is a woman of faith when I'm flat she can pick me up and vice versa because we're on the same page and so um, if that's not the reality for you that's okay the Bible says to pray for your, your spouse and be an example for them that your example might lead them to faith in Christ so it's not all done and dusted for you. There's no, not like there's no hope for you. It's just continue. And that's why it's important to get into church and get into connect groups so that what you aren't getting yet from your partner, you can still get from the body of believers who will continue to pray with you for your spouse to see them come to faith so that you together can be spiritually compatible. Does that make sense? It does in my head anyway. Um, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Um, Psalm 119, nine, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Um, and, and one thing that's really great for single people is just to hold in mind that 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, um, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That gives us hope in the waiting room between what we need and what we have right now to trust that God's best interests, or our best interests, are in God's heart. Number two. What does Jesus want for my family? So let's paint an outline, a black and white outline of what Jesus wants for my family. And then we'll go away and and paint that into a technicolored reality for ourselves. Last year in our series, I've always wanted to ask, the question was asked, how has the disintegration of traditional family values affected our society? Which I thought was a very profound question and very... um, Very current and very appropriate. This is my response. It's my opinion that it appears that nobody understands their roles anymore. A child thinks it's a parent. A mother feels dissatisfied with only being a woman and feels the need to prove herself. Men are more confused than ever about who they are and passivity and compliance seems to be the only real option for a man if he is to avoid being a misogynistic bigot. If there, I think there is a great strength in knowing who God has created us and called us to be and that we ought to celebrate and champion each other on in our roles, not compete with them nor simply define or limit people by them. Because God has a plan and a purpose for family and how it ought to function. And society is trying to cripple that and confuse us about who has what role and where the power actually lies and, and who should be doing what. And in the sake of equality, we're actually causing division more than ever before. And so we need to go back to God's word and back to what he says about how he created things to work. And uh, it's going to fly in the face of uh, progressive thinking. But that's okay because we don't follow the winds of doctrine in this world. We follow Jesus and what he wants for our marriages. Um, Ephesians 6.4 Fathers do not exasperate or come down harshly on your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Exodus 20 verse 12 says to honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land and the Lord, the, the, that the Lord your God is giving you. Joshua 24 verse 15 As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, uh, this is one of those coffee cup scriptures if I've ever seen one, um, where people will have, you know, they order from Couron or whatever, this front door mat which Joshua twenty four fifteen, that's in my house, we'll serve the Lord. And they might have a nice crochet picture on the wall, very kitsch, but very lovely, of this passage. Um, yeah, it's for me and my house and they might have the dinnerware that's got that printed on it as well and um, and maybe the family's really Christian, they've got matching T shirts that say, Hey, it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, here's my question. Define what serve the Lord means for your family. Let's go beyond it being a cool catch cry. Let's bring it down to what does that mean for our hands and our feet and our mouth that we will serve the Lord. Are we going to be in church on a Sunday? Are we going to be serving on a team? Are we going to be in a connect group? Are we going to be loving our neighbor? Are we going to be setting an example? Are we going to be generous? Are we going to be kind? Are we going to be instilling in our children and watching them outwork God's plan and practices and principles that, they, that he has for humanity in their life? And I think one great example of this is, um, is, is watching Mang's with his family. Now, most of his kids have grown up and left home now and they've got their own kids, but I remember years ago, um, that They would sit around the dining room table and, um, and talk about the kingdom of God and how we should operate as Christians. And, and they would have this thing where, where is Mancloth? Is he here still? Oh, I thought you'd been raptured. There you are. Um, where they would put 50 bucks on the table every week. Um, because as we said earlier, generosity is, is one of the pillars of Uh, The Christian faith and so they would say let's pray and see who we can bless with this this week and so then the kids are learning the, the 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 practice and the principle of generosity and giving and and so things like that so when we say we will serve the Lord what does that actually look like in your family that is a great black and white outline but let's paint some color inside those lines of what that looks like for our families Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And here's a great mantra that is used at weddings but is probably just as suited for uh, for family life is 1 Corinthians 13, uh, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's a, a great mantra for families. Cool. Three. We're halfway there. You guys are doing great. Really well, really well. Thank you, Pete. Number three, what does Jesus want? Oh, here we go. For my physical health and well-being. The church doesn't often talk about this, um, but I believe this is vitally important. And we're about to see why. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies, flesh and blood, are temples of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you? The Holy Spirit is in you. That power that is at work within you that we read in Ephesians 3 is the Holy Spirit, which is God himself. And our bodies are a temple that house the Holy Spirit. Now when you read in the Old Testament about the temple about how they built it, how they maintained it, how they, the time, the effort, and the expense was gone into the temple, which would house God. And then we look at now in the New Testament we're saying that temple is no longer relevant. We become the temple where God dwells in us. That should really affect how we view our body, our physical health, because the Holy Spirit is in you whom you have received from God. You are not your own. I am not my own. We were bought at a price. And as we said at the very start, that price was not cheap. That price was not insignificant or inconsequential. That price was extremely high. That price was Jesus going to a cross and and having his life taken so he could absorb the sins of humanity, which had disconnected people from God for generations. And now we get connected to God the Father because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And the price was so high so that we could have... The Holy Spirit dwell in us. Therefore, knowing all that, Paul says, honor God with your bodies. Do we honor God with our bodies? With what we put in? With how we have output? Um, Just a question. Again, I'm just creating an outline. You've got to color it in for you. 3 John 1, 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. I, I see many Christians who are on fire for Jesus, who their soul is well, they've got the fruit of the Spirit coming out of them, they love people, they're kind, they're generous, but their physical health is absolutely crazy. And so we've got to spend time on our physical health as well as our spiritual health. It is important. 1 Corinthians 10 Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So in our consumption, are we consuming in a way that would glorify God? That's why gluttony is listed as a sin in the Bible. Because gluttony is not glorifying and honoring God with the temple he's given us for his presence to dwell in. Restraint is what honors God. Discipline is what honors God. And so we must be aware of this stuff, and so whatever we are putting in our mouths and whatever we do with our bodies should glorify God. Ephesians five eighteen Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. Proverbs twenty, verse one wine is a mocker and beer a brawler, whoever is led astray by them is not wise. So again, it's not about abstinence, it's about restraint. It's about having boundaries in place. There is, there is nothing wrong scripturally with a Christian having a drink. There is something wrong with a Christian who is gluttonous with alcohol because it's not glorifying God with the body that he has given them to house his spirit. Um, and, and again, too, I, I have. Drunkenness never leads to something good. Like, I have never seen somebody get blind drunk and stumble around and go, let's start an orphanage. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a Bible college today. <laughs> Come on, listen. Come on, let's do it. All I've ever seen is that the end of drunkenness leads to someone ending up in hospital, breaking a relationship, breaking their body, their soul, or doing something that's going to cause incredible damage to them that they don't realize until they sober up and feel the weight of it. So that's why it's saying those who, in Proverbs, those who are led astray aren't wise. Because a wise person knows that if we are led by the desires of the flesh, if we are led by strong wine and strong drink, it takes us to a place where we ought not be, where God does not want us to be. So have a glass of wine, but do it in moderation. At the end of the day, what does Jesus want for your health and well-being? To be more or less healthy than you are today? Obviously it's more, so let's do some stuff to make that happen. And I'm not talking about people who have chronic illness and things like that. I'm talking about our baseline disciplines of health and well-being and nutrition and exercise that that meets us all where we are at. Number four. Is that okay? I want to tread lightly with that to be gracious, but also be honest. Again, I'm not telling you what to do. Keep coming back to I'm just drawing an outline. We gotta go fill that in for ourselves. What does Jesus want for my mind? Oh yeah. Giddy up. Proverbs seventeen twenty two. A cheerful heart is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A cheerful heart is good medicine. So keeping ourselves filled with joy, thinking on the right things, is actually good for us and good for those around us. A crushed spirit will will dry us up, will we'll just deplete us. So we need to be aware of what we are thinking about, what we're allowing into our mind and into our heart. Does that keep us buoyant or does that sink us and shipwreck us? Because a cheerful heart is incredibly good medicine and good for our mind, good for our heart. Romans 12 verse 2, and we all know this one, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's where it starts. The battle nine times out of ten is between the ears. And and, and transformation comes when we can win the battle of discipline in our mind about what we think on, the decisions we make, um, and, and the processes we go to from there on. Philippians 4 verse 8, Finally, brothers, ancestors whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable what if, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy think about such things so many times we find ourselves in a place of despair and discouragement because we start thinking about things that aren't helpful and we dwell on the fears and we dwell on the insecurities we dwell on the what ifs but God's saying find anything whatever whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable whatever is excellent think on these things it doesn't even have to be overly spiritual whatever it is if it's, if it's pure it's pure if it's true it's true if it's lovely it's lovely like there's nothing really scriptural about flowers they're just lovely so think on flowers if that helps you get in a mindset to, to think about things that are going to be helpful for you, find things. Things that are excellent. That's why I love watching like top-level sport. There is nothing spiritual at all about it. But it's excellent to watch. It's excellent to watch people performing at such a high level. And I want my, my focus my energy to be on things that God tells me to think about. And these are things that are admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. Thank you, Jesus, for all those things. 2 Timothy 1.7 seven. God didn't give us a spirit of fear but he gives us a spirit of power love and self-discipline and so often we can focus on that fear part and we think that that's where God's position is that's where God has us but God didn't give us that God, God actually has given us we need to flip the coin he's given us power he's given us love he's given us self-discipline and we need to focus on those things which is a, a mentality and a mindset Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six: those who trust in themselves are fools but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. We need to open ourselves up for um, assistance from other people. If, the, the moment we become unteachable, we become ungrowable. And so if we keep a, 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 a teachable spirit and we don't think that we've got all the answers inside of our head, inside of our intellect and inside our, our, our experience, then we will start to start to grow. We need to be teachable. It is a fool who trusts in themselves alone. Above all else, Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart. And how do we guard our heart? We guard our heart by watching what goes in our eyes and what goes in our ears. And we think that it doesn't affect us, right? People go, oh, video games don't affect the violence in urban cities and things like that. It's not the video games' fault. It's not the media's fault. The media doesn't have the influence to change behavior. Well, I would, I would disagree. Because... I've got to, I've got to confirm. I haven't had the guts to confirm this and actually do this, but apparently, if you call 911 in Australia, it's directly diverted to Triple O. Why? Because we are so conditioned to watching American movies when there's an emergency, call 911. So, people in Australia are calling 911 in an emergency because they've been conditioned to see what they've seen on screens and they've, got, they've blurred the lines between reality and fantasy. So don't tell me that that doesn't have an impact. What goes in our eyes and in our ears absolutely goes into our hearts and affects our behaviours. And that's why the Bible says, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. How you behave, what comes out of you is a response to what's gone into your ears and into your eyes and has settled into your heart. 2 Corinthians 10.5, one of the most powerful scriptures, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I love it what this is talking about is when we have thoughts. We all do. Like, like even as I'm preaching, the random thoughts come into my mind like a, like a dart from the enemy. I'm like, what the heck is that? Like, and, and being in worship and you go, I should be thinking about holy things in Jesus and I'm thinking about the most random crap in my mind ever and I should be in the most holiest of holy places. So I, I get that random thoughts come out of nowhere but we get a, a tool in our tool belt by the word of God to, to, to take every thought captive and submit it to Christ. And so for me, uh, I picture it like like a James Bond interrogation scene. We take every thought captive like a terrorist. We put it on a chair. We waterboard it. And and to figure, where did you come from? Are you here to help me or harm me? And once we've interrogated that thought, we can either say, yes, it's going to help me and take me to glory. Or we go, no, you're gone. I reject you. And we finish off the execution process of that thought. As part of the surrender to Christ process. Colossians three two set your minds on things above not on earthly things. Proverbs twenty three verse seven in the King James says as a man thinketh so is he. And I'm going to finish on this Psalm one twenty one verse one. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help? From where does my help come? We need to look past our problem and our circumstance to the solution. When they say when you are on a boat and you start to get seasick, right? You don't look at the waves. That makes it worse. You look to the horizon because the horizon brings stability. The horizon gives you something to focus on that, that will subside the feeling of nausea you have on the boat. And for us in life, Oftentimes, we find ourselves in in moments where our soul feels sick, we feel troubled, and we focus on the problems around us the people, the relationships, the issues, the insecurities, the fears, all the things that are around us. And that's like keeping our eyes on the waves around the boat that are causing us to be sick. We need to lift our eyes to the horizon, to the hills, because that's where our help comes from. The problems are not going to bring you a solution, that's why they're problems. The solution will bring you, to, uh, bring you a solution. That's what you need to focus on. And so, so that mountain, that hill, that horizon, that, that, that distance, that is, that is Jesus. And we lift our eyes beyond what's going on around us to see him, to see our help. That helps our minds uh, stabilize the storm around us. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not trying to solve people's problems. I'm not trying to give, give you counseling sessions. I'm just simply trying to, as I said 10 times now, paint a picture, an outline of God's Word for these different areas of our life. And we need to go away in prayer, go away in study, go away in worship to say, God, how do I appropriate that truth? How do I bring that to color and life in my circumstance? Jesus is the good shepherd and he's leading us to green pastures and he has paid a significant price for you and I to have a significant life and so I want us to take these booklets as more than just Justin's creative craft work during the week and write thoughts write ideas down I want this to be a significant start for 2020 as we said last week the start of a new year the start of a new decade and so many of us start our year with what do I want what does Justin want what do you want what would our year look like what would our decade look like if we asked the question what does Jesus want Would that shift some things? And I can tell you that what Jesus wants is exceedingly, abundantly more than you can ever hope, dream or imagine for your life. Why? Because he paid such a high price for you to have that life. So I want to beg you, don't play small with the one life you have. I don't want us to be in our 80s and 90s and looking back over our life with what ifs and regrets and if only I had of and that silly fear that I that took a hold of my mind in my 20s kept me paralysed for the next 30 or 40 years. I don't want that for us. That, that insecurity that niggled at us and limited our potential for decades, I don't want us to look back on our life and go, man, really? That little thing derailed my potential? I want us to take a hold of God's word and know that He has given us a brand new life, nothing we have earned or deserved, but it's His free gift to show us how kind He is, how good He is, how gracious He is, how loving He is, that we can run to Him in times of trouble and we can honour Him in times of blessing. Greater is He that is in you than he who is in the world. The power that is at work in you you're six foot four playing against people who are four foot six don't play at their level play big drive it we will dominate we will win if we know what Jesus wants for these areas of our life and we chase after him and trust in him let me pray thanks for tuning in to the C3CH podcast we trust this week's message inspired and encouraged you We hope to see you in one of our services soon. For more information on C3 Church, Coffs Harbour, visit www.c3ch.com.